All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast. This is episode 221. I'm your host, Tommy Tahoalemo. Uh, this is the show where young sellers come to learn more, to grow in their career, learn skills, make more money, be more fulfilled, find the next job, whatever it is that you're trying to do. This is where you come to learn it. Um, super excited. This uh, I've got you know one of the godfathers of, of inside sales. Uh, one of the best names in SaaS on today's podcast, Kevin K.D. Dorsey. Um, super pumped. I'll talk about him in a second. First, I want to give a quick shout out to our two sponsors of the show. Uh, first sponsor, Gong. Uh, I love Gong so much that I went over to work there. I uh, started working there earlier this year. They are the revenue intelligence platform. Um, it's irresponsible to be a CRO, to be a VP of sales, to run a sales team or customer success or sales development team and not use Gong. You're leaving money on the table. Uh, it helps you to learn more about your deals, uh, to win more of those 50-50 swing deals, to better coach your reps, uh, to better coach your managers, to learn more about your market, your competitors. Um, it is the best sales invention uh, since Salesforce in 1999. Uh, and you can quote me on that. So if you want to learn more, go to gong.io or just hit me up on LinkedIn. My name's Tom Alamo on LinkedIn. Just shoot me a DM and I'll, I'll get you in touch with the right person. Uh, the other sponsor uh, that we're giving a shout out is postal.io. Uh, so in a world where uh, everything is, is spam, everything is quote unquote personalization at scale, uh, postal helps you to actually personalize the things that you send to your customers, your prospects, your partners, right? And so um, you can send things from the brewery across town. You could send you know, things from the florist uh, on the local street corner that you can really help to personalize uh, you know, the gifts or, or whatever you're sending out to folks. Uh, and so what's really cool, I use Postal. I really enjoy it. One thing that I like is that you can type a handwritten note from them and I have terrible handwriting and so that's one reason that I like sending it uh, so that people can actually read what I'm writing to them. Uh, and they're doing a cool thing right now. Anyone that goes to Apple Podcasts on your phone uh, and does a five-star review for this podcast, you just take a screenshot, you send it to me on LinkedIn. They're going to give you a free Starbucks gift card to get you know, your Americano, your green tea, your blueberry scone, whatever it is that you're into. Uh, it takes you 45 seconds to get that review out send it to me, and then you get a free, uh, a free Starbucks. So uh, hit up both of, you know, gong.io, postal.io, show them some love. It's a way to uh, show love for this podcast. Um, also, you can hit me up on social media, Tom Malamo, or I'm Tommy Tahoe on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Okay, let's shift to uh, today's guest, Kevin Dorsey. Uh, I imagine that almost everyone listening to this show has seen Kevin, seen KD on LinkedIn. Uh, he's really one of the top names uh, on LinkedIn. But just as a quick background, you know, KD uh, went to University of Wisconsin-Madison, started his uh, sales career in 2012 uh, at Human Healthy Vending, you know, worked his way up uh, into a, a director of sales role there, went to be the VP of sales at Snack Nation uh, from 2015 to 17, was the head of sales development from 17 to 18 at Service Titan, and has been the VP of inside sales at Patient Pop uh, for the last two and a half year, years since 2018. Um, you might know Patient Pop from uh, our last guest, Liz Lee, who was formerly there working under KD. 
from Justin Welsh, who's a former guest, who is their uh, you know VP of Sales CRO. So, uh, KD, uh, what what can I say? I don't want to give too much away, but we talk about really the science of learning. We talk about what do you do if you're a rep and you want to improve, right? It's it's a numbers game. It's quality. It's quantity. It's learning skills. Uh, it's making the numbers that you have to. It's it's everything psychology and mindset. This is one of my favorite episodes of all the 221 that we've done. You can probably hear it in my voice. I'm not going to give anything else away. You're not here to listen to me talk. You're here to listen to KD. So let's get straight to my conversation with Kevin Dorsey. Let's go. All right, KD, Kevin Dorsey, welcome to the Millennial Sales Podcast. Good morning to you. Let's go, my man. I'm ready for it. It's a St. Patty's Day. Why not? Why not chat a little bit about millennials and sales? Honestly, it's pre-noon, and the fact that we don't both have a Guinness in our hand is like, I don't know about you, but my, 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 uh, my grandparents would be very ashamed of me not having a Guinness in my hand right now. I am ashamed of me for not having a Guinness <laughs> in my head right now. I didn't even realize it was until you introed me. Actually, I should probably go get a different cap on right now just to feel a little bit more in the spirit, man. But no, pumped to chat with you today, see what we get into. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited. And we were saying before the show, uh, I've been, let's just call a spade a spade. You're a legend in the B2B sales world. And, uh, you know, I've, I've admired your content for a while. And you know, we almost hooked up on, on this show about a year and a half ago. Um, I got burnt out of the show, took a break. It didn't work out. And now, you know, time has finally uh, kind of caught up and, and we're here. So I'm, I'm grateful to be here uh, and to really try to soak up your knowledge and, and hopefully, you know, provide some value to the audience. So thank you for being here. Oh, yeah, man. I'm pumped for it. Uh, cool. So let's get into the early days of, of KD. I think we're going to go all over the place here, but um, I always find it interesting to hear about, you know, how and why people got into sales because there's no no two stories are the same. So uh, from what I heard, I, I think that you were doing some sort of sales that maybe it was like door to door or something like that in college. Uh, you know, you're studying kinesi uh, kinesiology. Is that how you even say the word? So like, kinesiology. Tell, me, tell, me, <laughs> tell me a little bit about like those days, uh, because clearly your head wasn't probably in business. It was more in like, you know, health and, and fitness. Um, but maybe you were doing that as a side hustle to make money or to pay for school or whatever it might be. So, so walk me through those early days. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, like it was towards the end of my, my time in college that I realized I wasn't going to use my major, you know, like I'm one of those people that like, I love to learn, but school wasn't always the best format for me. Um, and so I was like, what am I going to do? with my life, like I need to have a job. I need to have a job. No matter what, I need to have a job if I leave or when I graduate. And so I picked sales because like to me, I thought sales was a super secure career to pick. Not because there's not a lot of turnover, which there is a lot of turnover in sales, but because there's always sales positions. There's all, always, you, you go on any job board, Craigslist, whatever, there's always sales roles. And so I was like, even if I'm just okay, I'll always have a job. I didn't still have, like, I didn't have a success mindset yet, you know, when I was younger. It's more so just like, at least I'll just have a job. At least I'll just have a way to pay the bills. And so I was like, I'm a hard worker. Even if I'm bad at it, I'll at least be able to survive, right? That's what, that's what started, you know, trying to find it, right? I did the door-to-door for not, not real Cutco knives, knockoff Cutco knives, which was a huge mistake. That went poorly. 
Then I did XM radios, which a lot of your listeners may not even remember that you had to buy an XM radio. So before it was like in your car, like you actually had to sell physical XM radios, Mm -hmm. right? So I was selling physical XM radios because they didn't integrate with anything else. Then I did some multi-level marketing stuff with like supplements. Then I got into insurance and then like the personal training sales because I was doing personal training as well. So that's what started the sales journey so to speak. And then when I moved back to LA and started working in the personal training studio that I was hired at and started to grow that, that's when I really got into business. That's when I really started getting into, you know, self-development, reading, growing, psychology and all of that. And that's what triggered my entire journey to this point. Do you remember, was there a person or uh, a a period that got you into that? Because I, I, again, I always feel like there's there's got to be a trigger to get you to actually take the initiative to get it, you know, so invested in learning and books and uh, self-education. Yeah. So the, the owner of the, the gyms, David, David was one of my, can't say one of my earliest mentors. He was my first true mentor, um, took me under his wing. He had a sales background. He handed me a book called Think and Grow Rich. He talked to me about like how I needed to be better if I wanted my life to be better. And that, you know, my goals were too small and all these things. So he's what triggered it, man. Like he, um, he's who got me into that mindset of like, the more I read, the more I learned, the better everything else would be. And that's, that's what triggered really everything. for me. Think and Grow Rich changed my life. That was the mm-hmm. first book. That was the first book other than maybe Goodnight Moon that I finished cover to cover. Yep. Yep. Same. Like it was something where like, once I started reading, it was like, wow, like, what I, you know, you know, as it says, like what you think you can achieve and blah, 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 and all the hallmark cards and Instagram posts and all that. But it's true. Like if you're thinking too small, you will achieve too small, but also like having who you need to be in order to succeed, having that vision, defining who you are, establishing your board of directors, like all of those things. Like I reread this book every January. I haven't missed now for 12 years, I think. Every single January, I go back and reread that book as a refresher and a reminder of like how far I've come, but also how far I still can go. That's so funny. I reread it. Uh, I've reread it every December for the last, uh, since I picked it up. So probably what's that five or six years now. And it's funny how when you go back, you pick up kind of different things as your life's in a different spot. You start to kind of hone in on these different sentences or different chapters that mean more to you at a certain point in life. No, absolutely. Like that's what people forget about reading and growing and learning is who you are changes over time, which also changes what you learn, right? I reread a lot of books, even books that I didn't like the first time. I'll come back to it a year later. So I'm a different person, right? Mm -hmm. There are books that I read the first time that are like, this book sucks. And then a year and a half later, I'll start reading it again and go, where was I? Like, where was I mentally that I wasn't getting value from this? Where was I in life that I wasn't picking up on what they're putting down, right? And I've gotten back to books like, this is actually really good. Like, I'm surprised I didn't catch it the first time, right? So going back to things is really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I got into, um, you know, a, a little bit of kind of like a soft debate with, uh, with Mark Casaglo from, from Outreach on LinkedIn. And uh, I've got a lot of love for him as well. Um, about learning versus implementing. Um, and I, I see different coins, different sides of the coin here. If like some people say, hey, you got to learn and learn and learn. And then other people say, well, 
if you're not implementing what you learn, then what's the point of reading, right? If you're not going to actually take action on it. Um, what's your what's your take on that or what's your philosophy on like the art of actually learning and then the art of it, you know, actually implementing those things into your life? You didn't learn it if you didn't implement it. Period. Right. You might know it, but you didn't learn it. So like to me, it's not a de debate. I think even I think he and I might have even talked about this a long time ago, like on his on his podcast or whatever. I've been in touch with Mark for for years now. If you didn't do anything with it, you didn't learn it. You may now know it, but you didn't actually learn it. Learning is the application of knowledge, mm. right? So that's that's the key to it all. It's why I give people kind of a rough time when they talk about audiobooks or podcasts, because one of one of the gripes I have with podcasts and audiobooks is it's a great way to absorb. They're not great ways to learn. Right. They're not great ways to learn. Right. To learn means to the ability to recall and apply in the moment. If you cannot recall and apply in the moment, you did not learn it. The two key parts there: recall. Most people don't remember things from podcasts and audiobooks because generally speaking, we're almost always doing something else at the same time. You're driving, you're working out, you're going for a run. Very few people are just sitting and taking notes on the audiobook or the podcast, but they feel like they're learning, but they can't recall it. And then to your earlier point or question, you have to apply it. So every time I read something, I'm taking notes on how I'm going to apply it. What does this make me want to try? What does it make me want to do, right? And so I'm always applying what I'm reading and what I'm absorbing, even if it's just one thing per book. Perfect, right? It's why I think I've achieved some of the things I've achieved in my life is like, one, like I outlearn most people, but I definitely out apply. When I read it or I hear it and I like it, I go do something with it pretty quickly. Now, do you think that there's value in, I, cause I see that point, but do you see the value in, Hey, you might read a book or listen to a podcast that might open you up. It might be something you've never explored before. And, you know, if you were only say reading a book and you were only going to read that one book and then implement and you didn't open yourself up to these other thoughts and these other experiences that maybe, you know, you're limiting yourself in that way that maybe like that is the gateway to saying, oh, that's interesting about psychology or climate change or relationships. Like I want to, I want to learn more about that. And I want to go maybe find a great book about it. But I, I find that sometimes podcasts can open you up to new ideas um, that you can, you can explore and, and then take the implementation route. I'm not quite sure if I'm following the, the question. Do I believe you should be absorbing all sorts of different um, insights and genres? Yes, absolutely, right? Learning about sales, psychology, business, behavioral change, chemistry, space, whatever. Like I'm a huge believer in range. It's just the application of it, right? Got it. So if I'm hearing you properly, like, yes, I think there's multiple modes to absorb information. And if you're just looking to absorb, podcasts, audiobooks are great for. But if you're looking to apply, generally they're not great because they're not very applicable, if that makes sense. Yeah, right. So the things that I listen to are awareness type books, things I just want to be aware of. But if I'm really like, ooh, I could apply this, I go buy it, I get the hard copy so I can slow down, I can take notes. Like my iPhone is full of notes. Like if I'm walking and listening to a book and I hear something, pause, taking the note on, ooh, I should go do this, right? Most people don't do that. If they were willing to do that with podcasts or audiobooks, different story. 
but that's yeah. not how most people absorb that information. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think we're on the same page uh, for that. So uh, I'd love to get back to, to you in, in the early days of, of your sales career. And you, you proved yourself, which is interesting at, at, you know, you're a pretty young guy and like multiple major different industries, right? You weren't just like this SaaS guy that like has stayed in, you know, one small space in the CRM market, say, and just like gone from company to company. And, and that was a question I got on LinkedIn when I posed it to people was like, how did you go from, you know, uh, all of these different types of companies and these industries and learn them well enough to be able to adapt your game uh, and, and be able to know your customer and your prospect well enough to have an informed conversation? So I think there's, there's probably three things that I think have led to that. One is I'm a very systems and process-based leader, right? So like figuring out patterns, systems, processes that kind of work no matter where you go. And then you're just plugging in in different types of information into those systems and processes, right? So like running a one-on-one, whether you're selling to enterprise, whether you're selling to SMB, mid-market, there's a certain way to run a one-on-one. When you think about discovery, there's certain ways to do discovery well, regardless of what you are selling. When you're cold calling, you're trying to peak curiosity. There are certain ways to peak curiosity, no matter what you're selling, right? So it's finding out what are the things that aren't different. Jeff Bezos, this interview has stuck with me for, I don't even know how many years it is now. And I just think people downplay it so much. They asked Jeff Bezos, this I think it was four or five years ago now, right? They said, how does Amazon innovate so much? Like, how do you kind of spot the trends? How do you stay ahead of all the things that are changing across the world, across the industry? His answer was just phenomenal. He said, well, the thing about it though, is I spend way more time paying attention to what isn't going to change. And that's where I apply my innovation. Are customers ever going to want to pay more for items? No. Are customers ever going to not want to be able to trust the items that they are buying? No. Are customers ever going to want to wait longer to get their items? No. Those are things that aren't going to change. And that's where we apply our innovation. It's the same idea, right? Like I study humans. Humans do not change much. Why we make decisions doesn't change much. What gets our attention doesn't change much. What motivates us doesn't change much. And so by paying attention to what isn't different across the industries, that's the first part, right? Is the human element is not that different. Then when you move industries, learning the prospect and the product is to me, honestly, the easiest thing. Right. And I've talked about this publicly a bunch. Go talk to 50 customers. Go talk to 50 customers. You ask them these six to seven questions. Why did you buy? Why did you buy? What problem or problems were you hoping you would solve? What were you afraid of before buying? What's your favorite part of the product? What's changed the most since you've bought? What was your buying process? And how would you describe what we do to somebody else? You go ask those seven questions of 50 customers, you're going to know how to sell them. Why did they buy? There's your value prop. What problems were they hoping to solve? That's how you get their attention. What were they afraid of before buying? Those are the unspoken objections. What's their favorite part? There's a testimonial. What's changed the most? There's your case study. 
how would they describe it? That's how you start to speak their language and their buying process. Now you know who to involve across these different orgs. It doesn't take that long, right? And so that's the next part is like really getting to understand the prospect. I do, I am not a big believer in having to be passionate about the product. I believe you have to be passionate about either the prospect or the problems that it solves. The product is what it is, right? And after time, unless it's your product, all products fade in terms of like how strongly you feel about them. But mm -hmm. the prospect, right? I love what it does for the prospect. That keeps me going. So learning the prospect, how do they talk? How do they think? Where do they hang out? What are the blogs they read? The magazines they read? The influencers they follow, right? So you learn about your prospect and then you just learn what parts of the product apply to it. Mm. I don't even need to know the whole product. I really don't. To sell it, I do not need to know the entire product. I need to know the parts of the product that the prospects tend to care about the most. There we go, right? So that's how, man, like people focused first, what isn't going to change, what are the commonalities, learn the prospect and then learn the parts of the product that actually solve the problems. There you go. So I'm curious from someone like yourself that, again, the self-education is huge and, and putting an emphasis on that. I'm curious how earlier in your career, because it might be different now that you've, you're running a massive team and you've been in leadership for a long time, but let's say you were an SDR or an AE or even just a frontline SDR leader. Where would you, how would you kind of bucket your time in terms of, you know, the actual conversations, the actual doing the job, right? SDR, making the calls, sending the emails, doing the research uh, versus the learning, learning about your industry, learning about psychology, the things that are not going to change in sales, go read Influence, you know, seven times, go read Dale Carnegie, so on and so forth. Like, how do you, how would you structure your time spent if, if you were in that role? It depends on how we're looking at time. We're talking about the eight to nine hours at the office versus the 18 hours we all have awake. They're very different times, right? So you're reading psychology, you're reading that after work. That's you just taking your career serious, right? Period. Read after work. We all have that time, right? If you're done at five or you start at nine, whatever it is, like you have time to read. So that stuff to me is outside. For the things like that I was mentioning, like the prospect knowledge and things like that, that's why I'm such a believer in really strong onboarding. It is better to start slow to have faster overall results than just throw people to the fire after one week of bullshit onboarding where like they sat through a couple persona cards and you say, go get them type, right? So like that's, I did it. So like at Patient Pop, my first month, I spent learning the team, met with every single rep one-on-one, -on -one, right? What were they good at? What were they bad at? Where do they want to grow? What do they see as the biggest issues, right? But then I spent the next month calling customers, mm. right? To learn about the prospect, okay? Now, I could have started trying to make changes in month two. I could have started, trying, oh, we're going to change this script or we're going to do this differently. No, I slowed down to focus on the right things to then be able to speed up, right? So then in month three, now I'm knowing what the scripting should be. Now I'm knowing where we're missing. Now I'm knowing where we can improve. So as an SDR, a frontline SDR leader, start with the prospect first, right? 
learn the prospect better than anybody else, then product, then go do. I don't care what a rep does in their first 60 days. Like it's their first 60 days on a job. Like, ooh, they got three <laughs> meetings in their second month. Like, I don't care. What I care about is how well they ramp, right? Because if they're missing in their first, second, and third month, something's off somewhere. But I'd be totally okay if someone went zero, zero, eight, full ramp. Right? Two months of no meetings because I don't care about those meetings. I care about the 15, the 20 I want them to get moving forward. So if you're early at a company, you're first starting, learn the prospect, study them, interview customers, read all the case studies. That's where your brain has to go first. That will give you a better understanding of how the product applies to you. So I hope that answers the question. No, it does. And, and you, you touched on something that I want to dive into a little bit. And I, I've got a theory that in the first like six to 12 months of your sales career, like you're going to hit a point of a breaking point, right? Where you want to quit. It's frustrating. It's really hard. And maybe it could be, you know, past that. But, but from what I've noticed, it seems to be in that time period where the reason why there's so many people that get into sales and then aren't in it is because they quit or decide it's not right for them maybe at that moment. And if you could push through that piece, um, there could be a lot of success and a lot of great things on the other side. So my question to you is if there's someone out there um, and I was talking to someone that is, you know, a new SDR newish, like the last six to 12 months going through a really hard time, like, man, I'm so close to getting to where I need to be, but I'm, you know, I'm looking at the, the other people on the team and they're doing better. And I feel like I'm doing all the right stuff. My manager says I'm doing the right stuff. Like, am I not being patient enough? Am I, am I not doing something right? Is it tactical? Like, what would you tell someone like that? Like, where do they start if they're just feeling so overwhelmed? They're not quite where they want to be, but they're hungry to get there. Okay, so we got a lot to unpack here. So the first is truly breaking down whether they're doing what they're supposed to or not. Okay. What can happen very often in sales, actually in a lot of places in life, it happens all the time in sales. We'll do just enough of something for it to suck, but not enough of it to actually get to the end result. Mm. So there's a lot of people in sales right now that are doing the hard parts of their job, just not enough of it to actually get the end result, right? And so this is back to process and systems, right? So we can hope your listeners are ready for some math, all right? Break out the notebooks. Here we go. If say we're doing the SDR, so we're talking cold calling. Okay. If you have a 5% connect rate and a 20% conversion rate on your cold calls, right? That means in order to book one meeting, you got to talk to five people, right? If you have a 5% connect rate, that means you have to make a hundred calls to talk to five people with me so far. Yep. Now, if you need to set a meeting a day, how many calls do you need to make per day? A hundred calls. hundred calls per day. Right. What happens if you only make 50? You get a meeting every other day. What happens if you only make 25? You get one every four days. Right. So now, so say this rep is making 35 calls a day. It's enough for it to suck, right? 
35 cold calls still sucks, but it's not actually enough to get the end result they're looking for. Now, I'm using 100 calls because it was easy math. I'm not telling anyone out there to go make 100 calls. But the point is, very often, you might just be stopping short of what's actually required to get there, and it's just basic math. You mm -hmm. might just not be doing enough to see the end result, right? So that's the first part is making sure that one, from a top level activity perspective, are you doing what's required to hit the end result, right? All yeah. this debate about, you know, sales is a numbers game. No, it's not quality versus quantity. <laughs> it's math, y'all. It's math. <laughs> if your close rate is 50%, but you only do one demo, guess how many demos you close? Zero, 50% of one, it doesn't, you have to hit certain benchmarks. That's the first. Are they doing enough of the right things? Next is making sure they're doing the right things, right? You're, you're in sales, I'm in sales. You quite literally can change your results off one sentence in your demo. You can literally change your cold calling results by tweaking five words in your intro or having one question ready to go. Are you actually doing the right things? Because it's very easy to feel like, this is why my team will tell you, this is why I hardly ever question my team's work ethic, ever. Even if I think they could be doing more. I never question work ethic because work ethic is a feeling. Everyone feels like they're doing everything right. Mm. Everyone feels like they're doing everything right. Are you? Like, are you doing exactly what those other reps are doing to succeed? Exactly. You're targeting the same types of leads, the same way, with the same messaging, with the same energy, at the same times, with the same number of touches, with the same vocal patterns, with the same follow-up, with the same emails, and they're 2Xing you? Tom, I don't know if you've <laughs> led teams. I don't know if you've led teams in your life. But what do you think the odds of those are that you're doing exactly what someone else is doing and that person succeeding and you're not? What do you think the odds are? Zero. Zero. So this is the next, like, are you actually, there's a, people misunderstand this all the time with sales is like, small things matter. Mm. And you might feel like you're doing exactly what they're doing, right? Like I pretty much do the same thing. Okay, well, if you're making a cake and I'm making a cake, you put in three eggs and I put in one eggs, we're pretty much doing the same thing, but my cake's gonna suck and yours is gonna be good. So it's actually then getting into, am I actually doing the right things? So first enough, next the right. If those buckets are there, which oftentimes we're like, let's be real. How often do you think someone's struggling and both those things are there? Probably pretty rare. It's very rare. But in the case that it is, keep going, Tiger. You're doing the right things. The math will also work in your favor if you let it. If you let it compound, you're going to snap out of it. You'll get through it. But burnout comes from not knowing why your efforts aren't getting you the results that you want. Mm. So... Okay. Go ahead. So uh, like if I'm that rep, 
like, would you recommend that? All right, let, you know, the numbers part is relatively easy, right? You can either take that yourself. Maybe your leader has that. Let's say you're hitting your numbers um, and you're still not getting the results. So it's probably how you're doing it. Um, how do you recommend someone goes out? Like, do you recommend they go talk to the best rep and say, yo, tell me, like, send me the emails you're sending. Like, let me listen to 12 of your, you know, or a hundred of your cold calls or demos or whatever it is. Like, and I want to take notes on these five things about them. And then I want to listen to my own. And then I want to, you know, have an objective scoring. Like, is that how you would do it? Or is there a simpler way or cleaner way? That's as simple as it gets. Yeah. Like, something I want, like, I can't remember where I read this. So if you can't remember where you read it, you get to take credit. That's what I've learned. That's a fact. Um, right? Straight <laughs> fact. Imitate first, innovate second. Imitate first, innovate second. If someone is succeeding, why on earth are you not doing everything you can to learn from them, Right? But it's to your point, the way you described it is what Ash needs to be done. You can't just sit down with the rep and be like, hey, like, why are you succeeding? <laughs> because the rep more often than not doesn't actually know why. So it always falls into like some of like the BS buckets. You know, dude, like I just work harder than everybody else. Yeah. No, that's not true. Right. Like I have reps that 2x, 3x other reps. They're not working two to three X times more. Yeah. There's so what then that's like, what's the question that you ask them? Right. It's just, what are you doing? What are you doing for the different things, right? So if you're an SDR, how do you write your emails and why? Can I see them? What are the top performing emails? Why do you think it performs well? How do you handle this objection? How do you handle this objection? How do you open the call? How many calls do you make? Because this is also too, this is where people always go wrong too. When I talk about that activity, well, Bobby only has to make 42 calls. Bobby is better than you. <laughs> like, yeah, th that <laughs> they're better. So, yeah, he doesn't have to make as many calls because he's better than you. Get as good as Bobby. You don't need to make as many either, right? So, as salespeople, we love to compare ourselves to the top when we're not the top. Yeah, so yeah. I I'd love to ask you more about that. I'd love to ask you about like looking at the lead, like looking at the leaderboard, right? You can see who's got the most meetings booked. You can see who's got the most pipeline, the you know most sold, whatever, depending on your role. Like, do you recommend? And maybe this is a personal endeavor, but do you recommend like someone like pay attention to that and be like, oh shit, like Bobby is crushing me. Like I need to make those extra twenty calls today, or do you find that like over time that's like can beat someone down where they just get discouraged or too focused on that and they're not focused enough on themselves? Leaderboards only motivate the top. Mm. Leaderboards only motivate the top. And by the way, most salespeople say they're competitive. It's not true. Salespeople love to win. Most salespeople are not competitive. There's a big difference, mm. big difference. The competitive people are almost always at the top, almost always, right? Competitive people want to beat other people, not just win. They want to beat other people. That's the difference. That's, that's why I got Kobe behind me, right? La Mamba mentality. Like I'm oh, a hyper-competitive person. I want to beat you. I don't just want to win. I've been winning. 
I want to beat you. I want to 2X you. I want to 3X you, right? I'll create games and contests in my head that don't need to exist simply because I need that sometimes. So leaderboards to me don't motivate anybody but the top. I don't care at all. But they are a very clear map of who to go talk to. Right. Well, I told you earlier when I went to patient pop, I sat down with every single rep. You know, the number one commonality between all the top performers, number one commonality. They literally all said it unprovoked in my interviews with them. They all said they learned from the best. Mm. Every single one of them said, I reached out to the person that was doing the best and picked their brain and studied what they did and then did it. Every, not a one said anything different. Right. Like there's the person at the top, Bobby, but here's what like to, we were talking about earlier. Don't ask Bobby necessarily what he was doing, what he's doing now. Ask him how he got there. Right. Cause I promise you if Bobby or Julie or Jenny's at the top right now, they didn't walk in making 22 calls a day. Right. They got to that skill level. Right. And this, I tell this to my own reps all the time. If you don't like something, get really good at it because then you have to do less of it, period. It's why I got good at prospecting. And you might start to like it more. I don't even know. I don't even preach that. I don't. I don't like cold calling. I don't. I'm good at it. I don't like it. But why do I do it? Because I love the demo. I love the demo. I love the presentation. I love that process, right? So... That allows me to do more of it. The better I am at prospecting, the more I get to do what I love. But second, the better I am at it, the less of it I have to do, right? There's this other cliche um, quote that gets thrown out all the time that people totally misunderstand. Hard work beats talent. Talent doesn't work hard. I'm a little nervous because I like that quote. (laughs) It is not true. The only time that hard work beats talent is if talent doesn't work, not doesn't work hard, they need to not work. Here's what I mean. If I'm two times better than you, two times, how much harder do you have to work to match me? Two times. Two times to match me, not to beat me, to match me, right? So now, If I drop down one level, you're at 100% and I'm at 100%. Who's still winning? You. I'm still winning and I'm not working as hard as you. Why I don't like that quote is because what it has done, as I believe it's created a lot of people that think hard work is enough. It is not enough. Skill development. Skill will almost always, almost always, beat hard work almost always there are certain places where it can trade off but most of the people all the glory stories that we love to talk about with hard work what were they working hard at by the way developing skills they got good at it they didn't just work hard forever they got good at it right skill especially the top levels man skill is what separates it far and away well that's like kobe that's like He's working his ass off or, or was working his ass off, but it was on skill. It was on, you know, 5,000 free throws or whatever the skill was he was trying to get better at. Right. And he never stopped, first of all. But yeah. here's actually a great thing to think about. 
Kobe was a hard worker. Was he the hardest worker in the league? The hardest. I'm not sure. Maybe. I don't think that he was, especially later on in his career. Kobe barely even practiced with the team sometimes later in his career. Like it was a big deal when he came back to practice because he had to rest, right? He was getting old. He was still better than 90% yeah. of the league, right? So that's why I don't like that quote is because, yes, you have to work hard, but hard work isn't enough. The better you are at something, the better your results are. And the beauty is I'd way rather be really good at cold calling and have to make 20 versus having to make 50. Totally. So totally agree. That's how I think about it. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, and I've heard you say somewhere on this topic that um, I think you have, you know, we're talking about books and you recommend, I don't know if you recommend or you require your team to read certain books. Um, could you maybe clarify that? And then either one, like, is there a list somewhere? Like I need to get access to this KD book list. So, mm-hmm. so I'm actually, it's funny enough, I'm building the list this month. Um, because people reach out all the time asking for books. My response back is always the same. What do you want to learn? Right? Like, I don't have a top book list because it depends on what you're trying to learn. I got my favorite books on relationships. I've got my favorite books on parenting. I've got my favorite books on sales, on psychology, on health, nutrition, leadership, military strategy, African history. Like I got favorite books in all sorts of categories, right? And so that's what's made it hard to ever make a list because it depends on what people are trying to learn. So yes, there are books that I have my team go through. um, Fanatical prospecting, gap selling, and methods of persuasion are like the core three that I think every salesperson should read. And then the um, SAS blueprints, from Jocko, like which one applies to you, blueprints for SDR, blueprints for account executive. But those are the things that we we definitely have them read. We have them on file for people to access, but then we apply a lot of it. We work on it a lot together. And you can see, like, it's so funny because people like will read something and they're like, oh, that's where they got it from, right? They yeah. see it in what we're teaching. They see it in what we do and how we talk about things. So like, those are some of the fundamental ones that I think every salesperson should read. And you brought up the topic of all these different uh, points of life. You, you strike me as someone that's, that's, you know, puts this effort that we're talking about into other areas of your life. Would you say that's, that's fair? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So like, I'd love some of, I have something in the podcast I call the selfish section where I just ask a question that I want to know, uh, not geared for the audience. And one of those is that I find it as life goes on to sometimes be tough to put the effort into all the areas of life, right? Like to, you know, I'll fall off sometimes on, you mentioned nutrition or, you know, working out or, you know, I'm, I'm fairly recently engaged. So it's like, oh, you got to put some, you got to put some big time effort into the relationship or into faith or, you know, all these different buckets that are super important and help you. You know, I know you have the mantra of like live better, sell better, which I wholeheartedly agree with. Like, how do you, how do you focus on all those different areas at once and still be such a badass at your job? I, I find that to be really challenging. So it's the, it's a small change to the phrase you just used. I don't focus on all those things at once. Mm. I give all my focus to one thing at a time. And so if I look at, you know, people get time 
misconstrued a lot versus intention. I can give my wife an hour of time, two hours of time. I can give her 15 minutes of intention. And if my intention in those 15 minutes is to make sure that she feels loved, that's better than any extra time that would have been required, right? So whether that is giving her a foot rub or going and picking up her favorite coffee because I know she loves it and you write a note on it and saying, hey, like, you know, this is for you. I love you. Like the intention, my kids, same thing. I don't have a ton of time for my kids right now. Like I'm not, I'm not cooking them breakfast in the morning. I'm not picking them up from school at the end. We're not frolicking around in the backyard for hours on end. But when I'm with them, they know I'm with them, right? And that intention that they feel loved, that they laugh, that they smile is my intention. I do micro bursts like that all the time throughout the day, like when they're home from school, like I'm gonna go make Louisa laugh real quick. Don't know how, I'm gonna figure it out. And those 45 seconds of me going out grabbing a spray bottle of water and chasing her around the house for two minutes, just spraying her with water. She'll talk about that for weeks, right? So it's being intentional, right? But same idea with um, work and everything else. Like I'm very intentional. I'm doing one thing at a time. I'm going to dedicate my full self to it because also too, more often not, we take way too long to do shit that we could have gotten done in a much shorter period of time. Right. So actually, let's see where, where we're at right now. I don't even know. Where do I see this? So for right now, it is almost 11 a.m. Almost 11 a.m. right now where I am. I'm at 46 minutes of screen time. Okay. I've been up since 6 a.m. 46 minutes. 30 minutes of that, by the way, is maps. Because I drove and met a friend of mine to walk this morning. Right. I'm not on Graham. I'm not, I'm barely even on LinkedIn. Like I post and then I'm off. So like it's being on one thing at a time. And so if you look at the buckets and this is the last part I'll touch on this, you can't be perfect everywhere. And that is also okay to admit. I'm not going to be ripped right now. I don't have the energy for that. I have a certain area that I want to be in terms of like my health and my weight and I'm okay with that, right? Could it be better? Sure, it could be better, but it's not where I want or can focus my energy, right? So there's this analogy, it's called the four burners, right? You got four pots of water, right? On yeah. four burners, only three of them are lit. And your job in life is how can you rotate those to make sure that they all at least stay warm? There's certain pots that probably should never move to me personally relationship should never move keep that flame on right yep. faith mindfulness like self-care that shouldn't move now you've got work and family on that last burner how can you move them how can you make sure that they're staying warm or getting what they need to be or there's other times in life where work takes over that self-care bucket sometimes that happens where it's like, I need to put this into work right now. So yeah, I'm not jogging six miles every single morning, meditating for 30 minutes, having a green <laughs> smoothie and all my supplements. Like I can't. So that's what I try to tell people is be intentional. Bring your whole self to what it is you're doing in that moment and setting that intention. Most people never ask themselves like, how I'm going to make sure my partner feels loved. 
how am I going to make my kids laugh today? How am I going to make someone on my team better? Right? How am I going to get my work done in half the time? So much of us spend way too much time on work, but we don't need to, right? Because we're doing other things, right? Where, oh, we don't realize that we spend five hours a day on our phone. It could have got a lot more done if you didn't, right? Mm. Those things like that, that I'd encourage, be intentional. What's my intention? Give it your full self. You might find you can get the result you're looking for in way less time. That just frees you up to do more stuff. I love it, man. That's great advice. Um, I know we're getting close on time here. My, my last question for you is I got to know about the Buffalo behind you. What's the story there? <laughs> That's Barry, Barry, the Buffalo. Um, so Buffalo is my, my favorite animal because it was about, I don't know, 10 years ago now, maybe 12, where I learned the story that the Buffalo is one of the few animals that runs into a storm. And I've always loved this mentality. And when they told this story, they're like, the way most of us approach life is very similar to how animals will approach a storm. Storm is coming, it's coming at 20 miles per hour. If you run away at 20 miles per hour, storm doesn't care if you run or not. Storm's gonna keep coming. And eventually you slow down because you can't maintain that speed forever. And the storm catches you when you're actually at your weakest. And then you still have to deal with the storm. Whereas a buffalo, when a storm is coming, it runs in and through it, which actually allows you to deal with less of the storm and get through the storm faster and with full energy. You come out on the other side better. And I've loved that mindset ever since. That's why I've got a buffalo in my office. It makes no, no you don't see pictures of buffaloes, people's offices, right? They got all sorts of motivational shit. To me, that's that mindset of like, Run through the challenges, run through the storm. Don't run from them, run through it because you'll get it done faster and you'll be better on the other side. So that's why I got Barry looking over my shoulder all day, every day is to make sure like, am I running through the storms or am I running from them? Shout out to Barry. What a, what a great way to end this conversation, man. I, I, uh, I love that analogy. I might have to steal that. I might need to get a Buffalo of my own. Do it. Um, Do it. And, and become a Buffalo Bills fan at the same time. Um, KD, it, most people that are listening know where to find you, but if they, if they don't, what's the best place to uh, connect with you or, or follow along for more content from you? For sure. I mean, you can, you can follow along on LinkedIn. I'm at the stupid connection limit. So like I can't accept more connections right now. Like I gotta kind of work through and delete old things there, but follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I try to post there pretty regularly. I have a Patreon group where like, that's where I do more of the in-depth stuff, you know, like hour long trainings, AMA, Slack channel, like more hands-on type engagement. And then like I have my own podcast as well, Live Better, Sell Better, you know, where we talk sales and we talk life, my man. So people, you know, give me a follow, reach out if you need help. I'm happy to try to be a resource for you and go from there. Awesome, man. I appreciate you. Thanks for being so generous with your time. I am, I do. All right. Thanks for checking out that episode. Um, happy April, happy Q2 to everyone out there that's getting after it. Uh, again, this podcast was brought to you by gong.io and postal.io. So great way to support me is to support our sponsors. Again, if you leave a review on Apple, I will send you a free Starbucks gift card uh, courtesy of Postal. So uh, shout out to the sponsors, shout out to the guests today. Enjoy your day. Let's get after it. See you next time. Peace.